Welcome to Industry Insights, the EFM podcast presented by the European film market of the Berlinale. My name is Nadia Denton. I'm a curator and impact producer based in London. This season of Industry Insights, the EFM podcast, puts trend-setting industry issues in focus, creating a compass for the forthcoming film season. The year-round podcast is produced in cooperation with Gotter Institute and co-funded by Creative Europe Media. Today, I will be joined by a number of guests with which I will explore subscription models for cinema. Subscriptions, known also as unlimited passes, not only offer audiences a wider selection of big screen viewing choices, but they also build film communities. In discussion with experts from the industry, I will interrogate the extent to which subscription models can help the industry to build loyal audiences and increased admissions. Lennart Schneider specializes in subscription models and newsletter strategies. He is also the host of the podcast Subscribe Now, in which he interviews managers from the world's leading subscription companies. Lennart, can you give us an overview of the subscription economy, sharing key trends listeners should be aware of? Hi, Nadia. In general, I would say that the subscription economy has been one of the biggest trends in the economy over the past, uh, I would say, 10 years. Um, originally, uh, for example, newspapers and magazines have always had this model, but uh, especially software companies have switched their um, their business models to subscriptions. And uh, you could see that now there are many products that you originally um, purchased in a one-time purchase are now subscription models. Like uh, there is this uh, company where you can rent a bike and you're always sure to have a functioning uh, bike uh, and you don't have to, to care for anything there's also the subscription model around fitness there's obviously the streaming market and um, yeah this has been a huge shift in the economy and i think the reason for that is quite obvious uh, subscriptions provide a sustainable business model with predictable revenues so you can already see now how much revenue you will make in half a year or a year uh, which offers the opportunity to make more long-term uh, investment uh, decisions. And uh, since you asked for trends, um, I think one of the most important trends is that in the beginning, most companies have focused mainly on acquisition of new customers. And um, now that growth becomes a little bit harder and the acquisition costs, costs are rising, uh, many of those companies are focusing more on retention and engagement of their existing uh, subscribers and also in regaining subscribers that have cancelled before. And in general, one other trend is more flexibility. Um, for example, in the fitness market, uh, there have been a lot of models which were quite unflexible. You have to subscribe for one year and you couldn't cancel before. And uh, there are many companies which are introducing more flexible models uh, now. Thank you. So you've um, spoken about predictable revenues for companies and you've also mentioned the increased flexibility for customers and audiences. Can you tell us a bit more about some of the other value adds for film watchers and viewers? So in general, I would say that um, you have already made the payment upfront. So in most cases, it's a flat rate model. So you don't have to pay each time you use something, which makes it quite easy for the user. And um, 
also uh, i think that this model aligns the interest of the user and the producer or the prov provider of the subscription because um, when you buy something and uh, you're not satisfied with it um, you won't uh, return or you won't stay within the subscription so uh, customer satisfaction is one of the most important metrics of a subscription model and I think that's one of the biggest advantages because it's more about the relationship and not only about a one-time purchase. That's super. And on that point of the customer satisfaction, do we think that this subscription model has fostered a new generation of cinephiles? I would hope so. I mean, here in Germany, there are not that many um, subscription models in the cinema space so far. But as far as I've read into uh, the models from the Netherlands and Austria, that is uh, really a chance to attract younger audiences, uh, to get people into movies that they would not usually buy a ticket for, because the risk of going to one movie is much lower. So... When you have to pen, uh, spend uh, 10 or 15 euros per visit per movie, then you consider which movies you watch and uh, you only watch movies that you've heard a lot about or that critics and the mainstream media have applauded. So uh, I think the uh, the chances to, to go to movies, movies that are a little more uh, artsy or independent are high. That's a really good example. And clearly a win-win for distributors and exhibitors are there any other ways in which it's been beneficial for their business models i think one of the most important parts is that um, you switch the dynamics from a push to a pull market because usually um, people had to uh, search for movies so they first had to have the idea uh, i want to go to a movie next week then they had to go to google or wherever look for movies that are in theaters and then decide to go which leads to a market where people do it quite rarely and uh, one of the benefits of subscription models is that you have this direct relationship with the consumer and you can push new movies you can make recommendations you can send them emails you can uh, um, you can recommend movies within the app. So it's really the chance to um, attract people to things they wouldn't otherwise um, um, consider. And in what ways has this contributed towards the building of communities? I think movie going has always been a social experience. And um, this is something that, especially after COVID, many people are looking forward to, do, to doing more. And uh, in this case, if I have friends with a subscription, um, it's very easy to, uh, to make an appointment to go together to the movies and uh, to have shared experiences. And uh, in this case... I also like the features that Cinevils and other uh, Cineville and others offer, um, like uh, viewings and special events and uh, recommendations within the app. So you can see what other people liked. You can see which movies are popular nowadays. So it's really a platform that fosters this discussion around movies and uh, that attracts people with a shared interest, a shared goal, a shared love for movies. And it sounds like the use of those apps is probably also enhancing uh, the 
experience overall for audiences, which clearly is another value add. Yes. I mean, there has been um, apps like Letterboxd and others where you could communicate about movies and rate movies. And uh, I like the idea to have it all integrated within the subscription. So you have access to the movies and watch lists and ratings and uh, social features like that. And also it is a chance for uh, cinemas or for the providers of the subscription to use those social factors to have a built-in kind of virality for the subscription. Because when you go together with a friend to the movies and uh, your friend sees that you don't have to pay for the entry, um, then... Uh, it is really likely that you convince them to buy the subscriptions themselves uh, in startups. This is called uh, product-led growth and many of the big software companies um, have grown this way because they have loyal fans, uh, not only subscribers, but really fans that um, create word of mouth, that um, recommend your service to others and that drive your marketing without <laughs> you having to spend a lot of money. That's really informative. Thank you very much, Lennart. Thank you. I am now joined by Thomas Hosman, the co-founder and CEO of Cineville in the Netherlands, and Lizanne Vindersic, the director of distribution at MovieGo. They will share insights on the benefits and key aspects of the subscription business. Lizanne, for Mubi, what have been the learnings from cinema-going subscribers and their online-only experience, and has it added subscribers? Um, I mean, of, of course, that's our hope. That's also um, a big investment for us. Um, I think what we try to do with MubiGo is really bridging both worlds because we don't, we really see uh, that the theatrical experience can also complement um, the streaming experience. And our users um, definitely uh, want to experience also films on the big screen. I think the focus in our subscription model is really about the curatorship. Similarly, as we do on the platform, we also uh, choose one film per week that we want uh, our members to see on the on the big screen. So I think that's uh, probably um, the main difference towards like an, a general subscription model for uh, cinemas because our users can only really watch this film that is, has been picked by us and that we think... Um, is is definitely worth uh, experiencing in uh, in the cinema. And Thomas, what has been your experience with Cineville? Have you found that subscription has added subscribers? Y yes, totally. I think uh, Leonard explained it quite well. We saw all the the results that I was talking about. We saw as well with Cineville. We started Cineville in two thousand nine, more or less as a branding or a marketing tool for art house cinema and for the independent cinemas in Amsterdam. And over time, we came to see it more and more as, as, the, as the tool that Leonard uh, explained. It's been a tool to connect the, uh, the most loyal visitors of the cinemas in Amsterdam and in the Netherlands to the cinemas themselves. And yeah, I think we've seen different results. So we've I think uh, Cineville attracts a younger audience than the regular cinema visitors of the cinemas. We've increased the number of visits to uh, to the cinemas. We did a research study that showed that, on average, a Cineville member increases their frequency of going to the movies with 50%. And also for me personally, what is one of the best results of Cineville, one of the best outcomes, is that Cineville members take more risks. So they experiment more, go to different types of films, go to specials, go to events. 
and, and and I compared sometimes to to like a music festival. So you visit a music festival maybe for one or maybe one or two bands that you already know, and then while you're there, you can visit all these other types of bands or DJs or performances, and it completely takes away the the risk of watching something you wouldn't like. So it's more you're trying out different types of films, and uh, yeah, we clearly see that in the in the results. And you've mentioned the fact that Cineville is quite popular with younger audiences. I understand this is the 18 to 25 demographic. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Maybe 18 to 30, uh, 35. So our biggest group of members is around 25 years old. And yeah, this is much younger than traditionally the art house cinemas their visitors uh, were. So yeah, it's much younger, I think also maybe a bit more diverse. On the same hand, uh, we also have older subscribers. It's interesting to see that when we started in the Netherlands, we only had the younger age group and then over time, the older visitors also came to buy a subscription. And we see the same trend also in Belgium where we launched last year. So at the moment, I think the average age in Belgium of Cineville members is around 24, 25, and, and we expect that over time also older visitors will buy a subscription and uh, also use the subscriptions as a way to go to different types of films and, uh, and different types of genres that they uh, would normally go to. And what do you think has been the key ingredient in terms of this audience increase? Could it be linked to the fact of choosing riskier titles? I think... Like Leonard also said, going to the cinema is a social experience. So I think for me, the most interesting part is that the subscription still, it sells itself and it's, we're still growing. Um, what we see is that a lot of the subscribers first came to the, to the cinemas by introduction by one of their friends, for example, and they started coming maybe once or twice a year. And then over time, they, uh, they come more often, they buy a subscription and then they buy their fr- bring their friends as well. And uh, that's how the subscription and the, the number of visits to the cinema still increases over, over, over time. And I think, yeah, like I said, because it's so easy now to just any moment during the week, you have some time off just to go on our app and select one of the, I don't know, maybe 50 screenings that are around in Amsterdam and just walk in without having to pay anything. You can scan your cards when entering the cinema and it's it's a really frictionless experience and that makes it so much easier. And also, if you don't like a movie, you can just walk out and visit another one in the same day. And, uh, and it's also something we see, for example, is that a lot of people are now going to the cinema by themselves just on a Wednesday morning. You have a couple of hours and visit a movie and just try something new. That's wonderful. And Lizanne, I wondered if you could share with us any changes you've observed in terms of demographics that have now engaged um, across the uh, movie go? Well, I think traditionally we also cater to a much younger audience, like already with, with the platform and with our with our marketing. But what we realized is exactly what Thomas was saying also, that like now we see also older audiences joining or trying out MubiGo, which is interesting. And I just wanted to follow up on the point of like lower risk of trying something different, which I think at the moment we really see the tendency in the cinemas that only like a few tentpole titles pick up at the box office. And I think subscriptions models like Cineva or MubiGo really encourage the users to just take the risk and try something out because it's within or actually there is no commercial risk, so to say. That's how also, um, I mean, not only the 
by the frequency of movie going that this is this is raised, but also seeing maybe more challenging titles. I mean, it really opens up the horizon and the willingness to experience something different. I guess other benefits are also, yeah, that they bring new people to the cinema, that like these people also buy concessions at the in the cinema. So there is a, an additional income for, for exhibitors as well. And I think for me, these kind of models, they resonate much more to the general behavior, like consumer behavior nowadays. And I think it's, it's beneficial for everyone. It's like a win-win for distributors, for exhibitors, and I guess like, yeah, for, for the offers of, of these services as well. That's really positive. And presumably it's gone towards uh, strengthening audience perceptions about the movie brand and their engagement across the various offerings that you have. Because I know that in addition to the online platform, there's also a magazine and so on. Exactly. For us, it's really about added value to the subscription. And that ideally helps us to retain the people. But I think people are really so far, I mean, we have we have, this had been going, going on since 2018 already in the UK. Um, so quite, quite a while. It's very, very established, um, subscription model. And in Germany, where it's quite a new development. So, uh, we just launched last year and we still make a lot of learnings, but we also, we already see how it's, how it's picking up and word of mouth is, is created more in the cities where we are live. Thank you very much. Wouter Timmermans, a film programmer from Die Filmhallen in Amsterdam, and Adrian van Denberg, a sales manager from Cineart Amsterdam, join us to discuss their audience engagement strategies. Adrian, we've been talking so far about this shift with audience interest and deeper engagement. Um, can you share with us some of the ways that you and your colleagues have been communicating with audiences and driving participation? Yeah, sure, I can. I can uh, surely confirm uh, what was Thomas was saying, that people are taking, uh, seem to take more risk in uh, choosing their films. Uh, for instance, we released uh, Mulholland Drive of Dave Lynch, the restoration in 4K last year, and, and, and another film which is a bit more niche, The Eternal Daughter. These are films that are quite hard to uh, for audiences to go to. And our feeling is that Cinefil really helps to get people to take more risk. So uh, more than 50% of the ticket sales of these two films were Cinefield passholders. So that is very interesting. And next to that, I think what's really interesting about Cinefield is that it's a pass that, yeah, the win-win situation, I heard, heard more people saying this, uh, but it really feels that way because it's also quite transparent in the way we are collaborating. One example of this, it's called the Specialtje, <laughs> which is uh, like a sort of special, we're going to do that soon. The idea is that Cinefield is doing an event in 12 theaters all around the country and uh, they all get to take one person for free. So it creates awareness to get a subscription. But also for us, it's a way for theaters to give more attention to a film at an early stage. Uh, and for us, it's it's a good way to, to introduce a film. So I think that's quite a concrete example of how we are doing this together and how we can increase the, yeah, the whole film market, actually. And Wouter, what has your experience been with uh, the film, Helen? So our experience has been really good with Cineville. It's one of our most important partners and it's actually our main, our most important target audience uh, that we cater. So for us, it all starts with Cineville being a very good deal, to be honest. 
it has to be a good deal because you have to separate the people that come in for once a month or once a year and give them a good deal to come to visit your cinema or the cinemas in Amsterdam in general uh, more often. So we cater them with a very broad range of films. Uh, films, what Adrienne already said, we all play those films. But we also do Killers of the Flower Moon, for example, Past Lives, That's the Abend, which is a very small German film, which is done pretty good for the size that that film is, actually. And by offering that range of films, we try to, what Thomas also already said, broaden the taste of uh, the Cineville pass holders. And they also take people with them to, to our cinema again, and then it just adds up like a snowball, for example. But when people come more often, you also have to give them something more than just a broad range of films. Adrienne already talked about the Cineville Specialtje, which is a very good tool. It's a special evening for card holders, but they can take one uh, person for free. But we also have theme programs for our cinemas. So for Filmholler, for example, we have a fast forward program. That's, that's just a, a pre-screening of a film, but we add like a program to it. And we really cater to the Cineville pass holders to, to go and see that because it really adds something special to what normally would be a regular film. And even Cineville pass holders that come more often, even more often, we try to offer them more depth with special programs, retrospectives and festivals that we are currently having right now, actually, to even create more choice for them because it's in the end, the pass stays strong when there's a lot of choice and a lot of cinemas, a lot of choice. Uh, so yeah, that's our experience with the card card now. And I'm sure it must be quite heartening as a programmer to be able to introduce some, dare I say it, riskier titles to audiences that maybe before would have been more difficult to engage around this. Um, can you share what future plans might be around these trends in terms of the fact that audiences are more open with regards to the curation experience? Well, I think that cinema has always been curated in that sense. And I think what we did uh, at the Film Hall, for example, is it's, a, it's quite a big cinema with nine screens, but they're all very small. So they're not big screens. They're around 75 seats per screen. And what that creates is then you can create that diversity. And it's very important for us that the, that the distributors keep giving us these great films and so we can program them and give, still keep that choice. So I think the communal experience, being in the cinema with your friends, watching a film, plus the broad choice of films, that we, we still keep pushing that, actually. And I think that's still the, the, the best way to go. Lovely. And Adrian, can you share with us uh, instances where you have been getting feedback from audiences. So I presume you're able to look at some of the data that you're getting from the apps to um, make choices around curation, but has there been anything more direct or specific that you've had from audiences that's really helped to inform some of your choices around curation? So for instance, do you have uh, any instances where there have been surveys or um, you know, particular types of events where you've been able to get you know, more nuanced feedback to help make decisions about, okay, we're going to show this or that particular type of title, or has it mainly been driven by the data that's come through? I think it's more the data that we gain. I mean, for us as a distributor, it's uh, we do a lot from gut feeling and it's really hard to measure where choices are based on. But because of data sharing from Cinefield, we get, it's, it's not that that that's specific, but we get more of an idea how it works. 
and how people make their choices. And by reading that and interpreting that, we are making our choices a bit more uh, specific. Thank you. So I'd now like to broaden the conversation out to all of our guests. And one of the things that I really want to further interrogate is this whole point about data and some of the learnings that we have had or uh, yourselves and colleagues have had um, that you previously didn't have access to as a result of uh, the data. So maybe if I can just uh, pick up on, on this, I would like to ask Vuta actually how, if if that's relevant, if you have if you look on the numbers like every week and how this would affect like of uh, Cineville users and then how this affects your programming for the week. So, yes, of course, that's very important. But we also, for every screening, when you come by in our cinema, you get an email with a survey and we also get data from that. So I also have a, like every week we get, I get a whole list from all the cinemas with all the comments that everybody emailed us. And we also use that kind of information to curate the program. Thank you, Vuta. Lennart, I wondered if you had any particular sharings, um, especially in the context of your specialism around uh, newsletters. Well, in general, uh, data is the gold of every subscription model. So to understand usage behaviors is uh, one of the most important points. And one thing that other subscription providers have told me is that you can recognize patterns in, in this user behavior, like uh, people who like this movie also like this movie. And uh, then you can uh, make a programming like double features or combinations of different uh, different types of movies. And one point that especially the Urban Sports Club told me is that the variety of usage is very important for such subscription models. So if people only go to one cinema and watch one type of movies, then they might not be as loyal as people who go to different cinemas and watch different movies. So those are patterns that are most important uh, for subscription providers, as well as engagement scoring. So most uh, most providers have a score which tells them uh, if people are losing interest and uh, when they are not going to a cinema in one month, then you have to engage them. You have to send them reactivation campaigns to increase their usage because as far as I could tell, most of the subscriptions are valuable if you go to a movie at least 2.5 times a month. That is the break-even point of these models. So if people are below this, uh, this number, then you might have a problem and uh, you have to reactivate those. I think I can maybe add something about how we share data with the cinemas and the distributors because, yeah, we as a subscription, you collect a lot of data. And as Adriana mentioned, we... Yeah, we completely share our numbers transparently with all the cinemas and distributors involved. So, But we're just at the beginning. So right now uh, we have a dashboard where cinemas can log into and also some distributors to see what kind of people have visited their movies the night before, for example, where there is a system in the Netherlands that shows how many people have come to your movie. But it's now, I think, for the first time that... A lot of distributors, for example, can also see what kind of people, where they come from, what age. And this is something, like I said, we're at the beginning of the whole, what's possible, I guess, because we have a lot more data. And, and I think we can show cinemas and distributors more, in, we give, give them more insight into the whole 
process of releasing a trailer to actually a film being released in the cinema. For example, when we publish a trailer on our website, our subscribers can put it on their watch list, uh, recommend it to friends, uh, so we can show that data before the film is actually released in the cinema. Uh, maybe distributors of cinemas can adapt our marketing strategy based on that. Uh, but also we ask people for a rating after they have seen the movie and maybe there's a discrepancy between the one group that is going to the movie and another group that is actually liking the movie. So you can also adapt your marketing strategy based on the actual feedback of the users. And uh, what's interesting to me also is that we are now operating on a, in, in a international level and we can also share this data between the different countries. For example, a movie is maybe released early in Belgium than in the Netherlands and we can learn from these results in Belgium uh, before a movie is actually coming out in the Netherlands and uh, help distributors and cinemas adapt their marketing strategy based on the data, of course, in addition to their own gut feeling and, and, and intuition, which is also always important uh, when it comes to cinema. One question for, uh, to that, if I, if I may. Do you also offer uh, marketing services to the distributors? So uh, is there an opportunity for a distributor to pay you to target specific audiences which might like your movie to create word of mouth or things like, like that? Uh, no, at the moment we don't. We did some advertisements on our, uh, on our website before where distributors could pay and get their film in, in front of a specific audience. But it also... I think it's it's got in the way of the relationship between the subscription and the and the and the member because I think we try to stay a bit independent in terms of we have a content team that's 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 highlighting and curating the films that are shown and if it's become one like advertised curated website and I think it, it changes something in the relationship between us and the subscribers so we we are a bit careful by letting distributors getting uh, into contact directly with the. Uh, with subscribers. Also for cinemas, for example, there are now 15 cinemas in Amsterdam and of course every cinema wants to communicate directly with all the subscribers in Amsterdam but then they would receive 15 different communication messages. Cineville is also a way of collaborating as cinemas and distributors and, and, and combining our marketing efforts through the channel of Cineville. So uh, yeah, we're a bit hesitant to, uh, to share our data and also personal data to connect uh, distributors and uh, visitors. I can totally understand that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for your honesty. And on that point of the collaboration between uh, cinemas uh, in the Netherlands, um, how would you say that this has changed the communication between the cinemas and has it largely been a positive impact? Because it's difficult at times when you have venues that previously may have been in competition with one another. It is difficult, yes. It's, Cineville is not an easy model because we have 70 cinemas collaborating in... Actually, the cinemas themselves are the owners of the concept Cineville in the Netherlands, so they have the Cineville Association and basically they hire me and my colleagues to, to, to do this for them. But these 70 cinemas are very different. We have subsidized cinemas, we have more commercial cinemas, we have cinemas that only screen maybe one or two movies per week. So yeah, there's a lot of talks going on all the time to make sure we are keeping everyone on board. And I think what helps in this regard is that we try to keep it as simple as possible. So cinemas are now collaborating and also distributors uh, for Cineville, where there are many other aspects where they're still competing in a sense, for example, still attracting their audience and also um, catering to a specific audience. So it has helped that cinemas are 
talking to each other about Cineville, are in the same room and uh, discussing marketing efforts, um, but it hasn't changed the way cinemas collaborate or compete completely. No, it's still happening, of course. Thank you. And um, Water uh, and or um, Adriana, I wondered if in terms of all of what's been discussed, whether you've seen a shift in subscribers seeing more films than knob subscribers? Yeah, <laughs> that's a simple question. Yeah, of course, people that have a, they just watch more, they get more enthusiastic about films. It, it's so much easier for them to do that. And what we also do, what Lara also was talking about, what we do is with email marketing, besides Cineville, of course, is that we kind of make our target audience, for example, for Royal Opera, that's a live show we do. Uh, we also email them for films that they might be interested in later. So, but you can do that with all kinds of topics. So that's also something we do. And you, you already see that, that, that the people respond very well to that and that they, they tend to get loads more films uh, from the cinema. Yeah, I think from the consumer's perspective, I would like to add something. I think it's very interesting that the approach how to consume films changes if you have a subscription. That That's probably, Leonard probably knows more about this, the whole psychology behind the idea of unlimited access. I see around me, I see a lot of film clubs, for instance, and they're rising everywhere and they're like, okay, so next Wednesday we're going to the movies anyhow, and then we're going to pick a film instead of we're going to we want to see this film and we go here or what What shall we do? Go Shall we go out for dinner or shall we go to the theater or whatever? So the whole approach changes, I think. And that also creates, yeah, then we get back to the whole diversity of film consuming, I guess. Wonderful. Thank you very much. So I wondered if we had any other final comments before we wrap up. I would have a question to the, uh, the round. And is there too much usage in some cases so do you have to to limit access for some of the heavy users because i've spoken to uh, the german ceo of bookbeat which is an audiobook platform and they had the problem that they have to pay licensing fees to uh, the the publishers for every time somebody listens to an audiobook and in the beginning they had an unlimited package but they had to limit it and now they have two stages one is for regular users where you can listen up to 20 hours per month and uh, one is for the extreme users where you can listen up to 100 hours per month because If you don't limit it, you run the risk of losing money with uh, some of your uh, subscribers. How do you handle this uh, problem? I think we can see the same for, with urban sports, right? They are restricting at the moment, like really on a big uh, level. I mean, obviously every subscription you model, like no subscription model works with only heavy users. So at some point you need to balance it out with people who, who use it a bit less frequently and then people use it really extensively. So I think it's an investment in the future, but I guess Thomas also knows it, it takes a while, like it's it's a long way and you need to believe that at some point it just also makes economical sense. And if you don't have trust in that, then uh, I guess we, we all wouldn't be here or like talk about also the benefits of, of subscription models. But at least we really believe that it's an added value and it helps to retain retain people like you know, on Ruby, for example. That's great. I, I really take away that whole point about having trust in the model and um, the patterns. 
maybe I can, I can uh, add something from Cineville. Um, we definitely lose a lot of money on some of our users. We have users going daily actually to the cinema, especially in Amsterdam. And these are people the cinemas personally know and they just come in every day. But it's, for us, has been always been very important that Unlimited is really unlimited and it's not unlimited up till 10 movies a month, for example, because I think if you start putting limits on the on the subscription, it also takes away the feeling of unlimited and giving you all the options. And it actually creates a barrier because they have to think about, okay, I only have like five visits left this month, so I have to choose carefully now. So yeah, over time, I think because we are still growing and we see that the, that the people that are now joining Cineville have a different behavior than the people that bought Cineville in the beginning and it's yeah it's having some trust that the people that will buy the subscription in the beginning might actually go five times a month and you you lose money on these but they are the most loyal visitors and they are also the ones that bring in their friends and increase the subscription over time so actually these are the most important members in terms of marketing and yeah creating these film groups and inviting their friends so yeah that's why we also in our marketing, we uh, we focus on people getting as often as possible to the movies. For example, we had this challenge where we asked a couple of people to go as uh, often to the movies, watch as many movies uh, in one day in the cinemas. And they started at nine in the morning on a Saturday and they watched maybe seven films or six films of, uh, a night uh, at the 12 o'clock screening in the night ending. Um, we do this also because we know it's very difficult to change the behavior of people. So um, we just push as much as people to, to go to the films as much as possible. Um, and in the end, it balances itself out with the 75,000 subscribers we have. So uh, yeah, no limits for our subscription. Thank you. That's excellent. Thank you for being so honest with us. Um, it's really fascinating to kind of hear about the inner workings and all of the quirks of the um, audience engagement. So this brings us to the end of the podcast. I'm very delighted to have had this conversation with our guests and looking forward to seeing what the future trends will be around subscription. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This season of Industry Insights has been produced in cooperation with the Gotter Institute and co-funded by Creative Europe Media. This particular episode has been developed in partnership with film executive Vera Herkschenbach. Please do tune in to future episodes of Industry Insights. Find us where you get your podcasts or on the website of the European Film Market, www.efm-berlinale.de. Thank you for listening. Take care and goodbye.